Well, if you brought your copy of God's Word with you this morning, open to the book of Daniel. We're going to continue in our study through chapter 9 of Daniel. And, um, man, I tell you, you, uh, you, you endured the rain this morning. You probably felt the temptation deep in the bosom. Ah, today would be a good day to stay home and have home church. But you didn't. And I pray that you will be blessed as a result of what you see and discover and learn from Daniel 9 this morning. We're not going to cover a lot by means of the length of the verse that we look at this morning. But there is some really fascinating information that I'm going to download on you. And I'm, so I'm going to purposefully be trying to go slow because it's, it's a lot of information. I told Lisa I've only got like 10 pages in my notes this morning, but I've got like 50 outlines on my overhead. I've got a ton of information. And I'm going to just tell you in advance, there's no way you're going to be able to, even though I'm trying to go slow, there's no way you're going to be able to keep up with it. Did I mention notes? Yes. Perhaps you want to get one of these and occasionally go back to the YouTube page and check it out, and you can slow it down, and you can pause it, and all these overheads that I'm giving you, uh, you can make copious notes of those, use them as you wish, but there's a lot of information I'm going to download on you today, so this is more, this is going to feel a little bit more like a seminary class again today than just a sermon, but I hope and see by the time we get to the end of it that we are so awestruck with the magnificent beauty of God's Word the scriptures, that we're in reverent awe and in worship to the only true and living God that gave us a word just like today in Daniel chapter 9 verse 25. It's utterly amazing. Are you ready? Well this morning as you now know Daniel 9 we've been looking from verse 20 through 27 um, but in the entirety of the chapter of Daniel 9, uh, what we know thus far is that Daniel had his nose in the books. He was in the word of God as an old man, and he saw in the book of Jeremiah that God had ordained that there was going to be 70 years of captivity, right, for his people. Uh, one year of captivity was for every year they failed to observe land Sabbath requirements that God had given to them oh I need to fix that don't I Pastor Matt how about that right there bam there we go so we went over the land Sabbath requirements from Leviticus about two weeks ago so again I'm going to mention some things in passing today that if you want the fullness of you're going to have to go back and listen to but I'm going to touch briefly again on this land Sabbath in the cycle of seven years because it's a setting up for something that, that we're going to see in Daniel 9.25. So for every year of captivity, namely 70 years of Babylonian captivity for the Judean people, one year was for every failed observance of the land Sabbath that God had required of them. And the land Sabbath was a cycle of seven years. Okay, and we know this from our Old Testament, from the book of Leviticus in particular. The land Sabbath was a cycle of every seven years. You labor on your land for six years, and on the seventh year, 
you give that land rest. And you might notice that that land Sabbath cycle is based off the days of creation. Seven days of creation. The Lord labored for six days. And on the seventh day, what did he do? He rested. And so there in Genesis, we see uh, the first week. We see day one through day six of that week. God labored on the seventh day. God rested. And God then in the book of Exodus used through Moses, used that week of creation in the establishment of the week of labor that he expected his people, the Jewish people, to accomplish. Six days they were to labor, and on the seventh day, what were they to do? They were to rest. They called it a Sabbath. And so this land Sabbath is based on the same concept. It's a week of years. There, so each year, the first six years, you labor on your land. In those six years, you work the land. On the seventh year, you give the land rest, a Sabbath. So those are weeks of years. And that's one of the reasons we see in the book of Daniel, it says in most translations, 70 weeks were decreed. Well, that weeks right there, we know is coming from a, 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 the concept of weeks of years. So the same principle that got the nation of Israel into Babylonian captivity, their failure to observe the land Sabbath cycles, 70 cycles, so 70 sevens, they failed to observe it. For 490 years, they failed to observe what God had asked them to do. And so God sent word by the prophet saying, you're going to go into captivity for 70 years. For each Sabbath rest, you failed to give the land. And then we're going to see it, as we saw last week in verse 24 of chapter 9 and going into verse 25, Coming out of that, God's going to use that same concept, that same time frame construct of 77s. 490 years coming in this direction, 70 years, one for each year. And on the way out, God has decreed something for your people in your holy city that's another 77s, another 490 years. So keep that in mind. That's, that's, we're going to get there a little bit more here in just a minute. But as Daniel was thinking thoughts similar to the thoughts we've just had with regard to the duration of their time in captivity, he begins to pray. And he asks Yahweh uh, to forgive him, to forgive his people for all those years of rebellion and stiff-neckedness and being stubborn at heart. He's praying for God to be merciful and to forgive his people. And not just for their benefit's sake, he, he says clearly... Um, that he wants God to do this for God's namesake, for the glory of God's name. We see this, we're going to just re, uh, reread a passage here that we've looked at previously. Notice again, this is an important concept for us as we continue to build forward through our passage. The parts that I've highlighted in particular. Notice, so now <clears throat> our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications and for your sake, O Lord... And here we see it, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. Daniel's prayer is for God's sake, for the reputation of God to be renowned again. And to let your face, let your favor, once again, as your favor once shone upon your, your sanctuary, the temple, and your city, 
well, would you do that again, Lord? Verse 18, oh, my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name, and that city would be Jerusalem. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, listen and take action for your own sake. O my God, do not delay, because, and there he says it right there, your city and your people are called by your name. We see in Daniel's prayer that Daniel had a clear expectation and desire for God to restore the fortunes of Jerusalem, the city, and of his people. And that for the glory of God, again, note the very end of verse 19, because because your city and your people are called by your name. Daniel's desires to see the name of God highly exalted. And that should be our desire as we go to God in prayer as well. Shouldn't it? That's nothing, nothing new there um, as well. So his city, Jerusalem, his people, Israel. Now notice verse 23. At the beginning of your supplication, Gabriel says, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed, so give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. So in verse 24 and following, Gabriel begins to lay out a vision for Daniel with regard to God's holy city, his sanctuary, his people, and even his name. And so let me remind us quickly, verse 24, of said vision that Gabriel says, Daniel, put your thinking cap on. This is something you're going to need to understand. And here we have the 70 weeks concept again, right? 70 weeks. Weeks right here in the Hebrew is literally the word sevens. It's translated weeks because of what I previously and hopefully tried to articulate to a certain degree. The the concept of sevens was the concept of like perfection or of like complete, completeness that we know in the scriptures. And so God's creation on seven days was complete. When he gave the, the nation of Israel their work week, it was a completed week. It had a, a cycle to it. You labor for six days, you rest on the seventh. The land Sabbath, the same thing. So it's weeks of years. It's translated weeks here, but it's literally the word sevens. So 77s, and we know it because it has with regard to the the Sabbath cycles, that it's weeks of years. So 77, 70 times 7, 490 years have been decreed for, and here it is, your people and your holy city. Same concept, same idea. And then he gives the two and the what for. To finish transgression, um, we noticed this list, I think, last week, to finish the transgression. One, two, to make an end of sin. Three, to make atonement for iniquity. Four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Five, to seal up vision and prophecy. And six, to anoint the most holy place. So Gabriel tells Daniel that God has made a decree that within the space and span of 490 years, God's going to do these things for his people in his holy city. Now again, if you're looking for more detail, detailed information or explanation for these six items here you're going to need to go back and listen to last week's sermon because a lot of it was based exactly on that now 
to verse 25. Daniel was told in verse 25 when to start the clock. When do those 490 years begin? If it's 70 sevens and it's 70 times seven Sabbath cycles, which is seven years, so 70 times the seven years, 490 years for God to accomplish these things right here. Well, then when does that begin? When do we start the countdown? When can we simply take some mathematics and take a pencil and take a good hard look at this to find out whether or not there's accuracy with this prophecy? So, in verse 25, um, notice what he says here again. You are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince... There will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat even in times of distress. So it seems in our text here we have have right here mentioned, uh, remember it was a total of 70 weeks from verse 24, right? We got 70 weeks right here. When you get to 25 and he starts talking about it, you got seven of them right here. And 62 of them right here. And so 7 and 2 is 9. So currently, in verse 25, we're dealing with 69 of those 70 weeks that were made mention. And within the span of these 69 years, that's gonna, there's going to be a, a, a completion, obviously, with the, within the 70 weeks. But you're to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree... And in particular, it's a decree that has the restoration and the rebuilding of what? Jerusalem. Key, probably one of the key words in this passage is the word Jerusalem. Because whenever we go into the word of God, we see that there were about four different decrees that were given with regard to rebuilding. Um, these four, I'm going to show you right here, these four the first one was from Cyrus himself. We see this in Chronicles, Second Chronicles, and in Ezra, where Cyrus gives a decree for the rebuilding of the temple. See a distinction there? This decree over here was for what? Jerusalem. Cyrus gave a decree for the rebuilding of a temple. Darius the first decree, uh, in, this was in 538 B.C., and in 512 B.C., Darius gives a decree, which basically is just confirming Cyrus's decree, which is for the rebuilding of the temple. And again, we get that in Ezra 6, 6 through 12. And then come around 457 B.C., again in Ezra, a very historical book, the book of Ezra, we have Artaxerxes. I think I was trying to say Artaxerxes and Ezra at the same time right there. It doesn't work tongue twister. Artaxerxes has a decree that's, that's referenced in Ezra 7, 11 through 26. And this decree we see in Artaxerxes, which is again a reaffirmation of Cyrus's previous decree for the rebuilding of the temple. So, so far in the first three we've seen is for the rebuilding of the temple, the temple, and the temple. But then we have a fourth decree that's made mention of in Nehemiah. Chapter 2, and this one again is from Artaxerxes, and it dates to around 444 B.C. This decree was given specifically, it has a a reference point where it was given. It was given in Nisan, March, April on the Jewish calendar, 
And it authorized Nehemiah to rebuild aha, Jerusalem. Just like we see in Daniel 9.25. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be the seven weeks and 62 weeks. So there's 69 of those 70 weeks, and I believe, and I think most are in agreement, uh, that the um, decree that's given is this one by Artaxerxes in Nehemiah, in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, uh, just like Gabriel told Daniel. So it seems that that would be where the, the time punch, the time clock on this, when is this going to come to fruition, would be its beginning point. Now, I want to just read for you from that passage out of Nehemiah. We're going to skip a little bit of it along the way, but we're going to get about seven verses here. Just notice in Nehemiah chapter 2, and it came about in the month of Nisan. So again, as I mentioned, there's a very particular time reference stamp uh, with regard to this particular decree, the month of Nisan, March. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, so another very particular time stamp within this passage with regard to King Artaxerxes and the decree that he has allowed. That wine was before him, and I took it up, and, uh, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. This is Nehemiah speaking here. So the king said to me, Why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever, because the king didn't appreciate a sad countenance in his presence. You were to be a joyful servant in the presence of the king. Nehemiah wasn't feeling so joyful, and the king made observation of that and called him to account for that. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire then the king said to me what would you request so I prayed to the God of heaven that's what you call praying quickly on your feet have you ever done that Nehemiah did too I said verse 5 to the king if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor before you send me to Judah to the city of my father's tombs that I may rebuild it then the king said to me the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be and when will you return? The king grants favor on Nehemiah and his request. So it pleased the king to send me and I gave him a definite time. Skipping to 11, so I came to Jerusalem and was there three days and I arose in the night I and a few men with me, I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my heart to do for Jerusalem. And there was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So, taking these passages and some of these time-marking stamps into consideration, we see that in Nisan, March of 444 B.C., the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king authorized, gave permission to Nehemiah to go back to Judah and to rebuild Jerusalem. So, all we need to do now is what? If, perchance, we think that this might be an 
accurate time frame in which to step into the waters. All we need to do now is test it. Test the waters. It just requires some simple math, right? That's all it requires to test the waters. And if it doesn't fit, you just let it go. And you keep digging. And you keep searching. And you try to find another way. Well, is there another way to make that fit? But if it fits, you go with it. So the first thing that we need to rightly establish to test this hypothesis that this decree of Artaxerxes in the month of Nisan in 444 BC, the 20th year of Artaxerxes, was the, indeed the time that this 490 years was to begin at the issuing of that decree, as Daniel said in Daniel 9, as Gabriel says to Daniel in Daniel 9:25, we need to kind of rightly establish the length of years, meaning how long were years from a biblical perspective. And you're thinking, you've got to be kidding, right? I mean, a year is a year, right? I mean, we live according to a year, don't we? what we do but what you may not be aware of is that our year and the calendar that we live on is just a little bit different than the calendar years that they were living on and that's why I bring this up today you and I are accustomed to living on a calendar of years that's based on 365.25 days within a year and you're thinking well how does a year have a 0.25 day on it this is what we call a solar calendar. However, if you were perhaps one of the unique souls that were born on February the 29th, you would know all about what we call leap year. That 0.25 every four years, we add in a, an extra day on our calendar to make it all work out. Because one of the things we know is that uh, this terrestrial ball that God has put us on as it makes its pilgrimage around the sun, it doesn't do so exactly at 365 days. It's more around 365.25 days on an annual rotation around the sun. And as such, our calendar is based on 365.25 days on a calendar year, a solar calendar. However, that's not how they kept time in biblical times. That's not the calendar that they were functioning and operating off of. So when we try to figure out these kinds of dates uh, using the book of Daniel and then transcribing them over onto dates and calendars that we have adapted now for the past probably 2,000 years, it's important that we understand that Daniel and his Jewish people were living according to a 360-day calendar cycle. We're 365.25, so that's 5.25 days every year. And so if you just set off your course and you're just, you know, half a degree off, eventually how far do you end up getting off? You end up getting quite a bit off, right? And so back in those days, they had kind of some strange ways as I was reading up on this topic of how did they try to keep their seasons somewhat in line with the stars and the moons and all the things that they did. They occasionally had to make some adjustments probably like you've had to make in your, um, the accounting of your budget with your bank statement. Sometimes you make adjustments so that they match. Have you ever done that? I've never had to do that. But perhaps you understand what I'm talking about. They, made, they just made some adjustments. Well, about 2,000 years ago, we made a permanent adjustment to that and turned it into 365.25 days, etc. Okay, if you want to learn more about that issue, just Google it, baby. It's there. It's all there for... The learning. 
So whenever we start looking into putting our toes in the water to find out if Artaxerxes' decree to rebuild Jerusalem was the same one where the 490 years that Daniel's talking about comes to fruition, we need to understand that and do our calculations based off a calendar of 360 days and then uh, transcribe that into our calendar so that we can make sense of all that. And so I wanted to show you briefly from the book of Genesis and a few other places this, this idea of how the Jewish calendar was simply 12 months and they had 30 days in each month. And hence 360 days within their calendar year. We see in Genesis 7:11 in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month on the 17th day, well, if you take that 600th year and you divide it by pi, guess what you come up with? I'm just kidding. I'm just making sure you're still awake with me because this does get a little bit tedious, okay? And we're, I haven't even got to a few of my slides yet. I've got some really awesome slides you're going to love. I'm just making sure you're still with me. In the second month, and notice right here, on what day? On the 17th day. So we got a second month on the 17th day of that month. On the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open and the floodgates of the sky were opened. And we see in Genesis 8, 4. Now we see in the seventh month, so over here it was the second month. In the seventh month, on the 17th day, so we, thankfully we have the same day demarcation, from the second month to the seventh month, on both on the 17th day of the month, the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. And in verse 3, just prior to 4 there, and the water receded steadily from the earth, and at the end of 150 days the water deceased, in, and it deceased on the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month. So you go from the second month to the seventh, seventh month, how many months do you have? That's where I'm seeing if you're really with me. Uh, it's five. You have five months. And they're both on the 17th day. And it was the day that it, it ceased. So if you just do the math, what we discover is that we see that these five months, uh, all things being equal, 150 days, five months, they're 30-day months, which we would expect and we also can articulate and see in a different way a completely different way from the word of God we see in Daniel seven twenty five. does that passage um, seem familiar we were in Daniel 7 for a few weeks as well right not weeks of years but just weeks just reminding you all that that's that wasn't weeks of years it was just weeks but we saw in Daniel seven twenty five, and they will be given into his hand for what? A time, times, and half a time. So you got one time, times is two, and then you got a half. So that's one plus two plus half. That's three and a half years is what we determined. You have to go back to seven, Daniel seven twenty five to kind of get that one again. And then we see over here in Revelation thirteen five. Again, all these passages are dealing with the great tribulation. In, in Revelation thirteen five, an authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And then in Revelation 12, 6, when the woman fled into the wilderness for 1,260 days. And so um, it it's, shouldn't be all that surprising, but we have three different time references given for the Great Tribulation. In one place it, was it, was, um, it said times, times, and half a time. Another time it said 42 months. And another place it was 1,260 days. Again, if, if you just do the simple math, um, we discover that from Genesis all the way from to Daniel, all the way into the book of Revelation, 
The calendar was a 30-day month calendar, 12 months in a year, 30 days within a month, 360-day calendar that they were operating off of. So um, when we're calculating the 490 years of Daniel, 9, 24, and 25, we would have to use 360 days. And then we would need to transcribe that over into our 365.25 days. And this is where it starts to get a little bit interesting. So, you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree, we've already looked at that, right? Whose decree was that? Artaxerxes. When are we saying it was? In the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2. When he gave Nehemiah permission to go back to the city, Jerusalem, and to rebuild it. And it was in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, and it was in the month of Nisan. So that would put it March 444 B.C. that Artaxerxes made said decree. And then within seven weeks and 62 weeks, at 69 weeks, we ought to see that there's going to be a rebuilding of Jerusalem, the city. And what does it sell right here? It's also going to be something else. The rebuilding of Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince. So there's going to be something that we need to discover with regard to this concept of until Messiah, the prince. This time stamp of 69 weeks, the seven and the 62, totaling 69, there's something about this time stamp that makes reference to Messiah the Prince. So we'll keep track of that along the way as we go. So the first thing I want to point out for us is that these seven weeks, as already mentioned, are uh, seven weeks would be 49 years. Um, so this first seven weeks here, right here, there will be, right here, watch this, seven, right here, see, seven weeks. This first seven weeks would seem to fall within the time frame of Nehemiah's rebuilding work. So within the seven times seven, so somewhere within the 49-year time frame, we would expect to see that Nehemiah was uh, there rebuilding the city of Jerusalem, the walls around it, etc., etc. The work on the, on the temple had already begun, but the rebuilding of the city hadn't. It came with Nehemiah. Secondly, uh, the, the, the second thing we saw was the, the 62 weeks right here. So the seven weeks and the 62 weeks. So the second thing we see is a 62 weeks, which that would be another 400, an additional 434 years until there's something with regard to this statement about until Messiah the Prince. So you had the 70 weeks and the 62 weeks. That's a total of 69 weeks. That would be 483 years. But these are the things that we're seeing so far in Daniel 9.25. Third, again, I just kind of mentioned that, but if you put these two together, you get the 483 years until we see something regarding Messiah the Prince showing himself, I'm kind of showing my hand, showing himself as the promised king of the Jews. Okay? Number three. So if you take the 12 months and 30 days per month, as we just got finished talking about, with regard to the Jewish calendar... Um, that's 360 days yearly. So 483 years at 360 days per year gives us 173,880 days for that time reference of the 69 of those 70 weeks, right? You tracking with me? So you got the 7 weeks and the 62. That's a total of 69. That's a total of... 173,880 days. 
So all we're doing right now is we're just putting our toes in the water and we're testing our hypothesis that the decree that was given to Artaxerxes in his 20th year, 444 B.C., in the month of Nisan, March, if it fits, does it fit the timestamp that God has left us? So <clears throat> we're, we're needing somewhere to come up with 173,880 days. So we need to convert those 173,880 days into our calendar because we, we don't live on that, that 360-day calendar anymore. We live in, on a calendar and have for a long time. And so we need to make a conversion there. And so you just take the 173,880 days and you divide that by our calendar, which is 365.25 days within a calendar year. And when you do that, you come up with 476 solar calendar years. So you can see that the slight difference on a lunar calendar, you've got 483 years. But when you do our, the conversion for us, it turns into 476 solar calendar years because this is the calendar that we all the, the world converted to and everybody is using this pretty much I think the solar calendar these days seven again Artaxerxes decree was in March of 444 BC already stated and I'm inserting the 27th we know it was Nissan it was clearly stamped the 20th year of Artaxerxes that was a stamping mark I'm asserting, the, <clears throat> excuse me, inserting here the 27th of March for a particular reason, and you're going to find out here in just a second why. I've kind of backed myself into that, and I'm going to explain to you how. So just roll with me, because this is my hypothesis that I put my toes in and I believe is correct. So on March 27th of 444 B.C., <clears throat> when Artaxerxes made that decree, to Nebuchadnezzar, and you, and you just track that to the end of, of again, I, we've translated this into our calendar year, but so you would translate that to December 31st because they didn't have a 31st, they only had 30, right? So I've made that transla I've, I've transitioned here. So if you do that, what you come up with is 729 days within 444 BC, from, from March 27th to the end of the year in 444 BC. There's only 279 more days left in that calendar year. So keep that 279 days in your notes. Number nine, <clears throat> we pick up on January 1st of 443 B.C. Because we just left off at December 31st of 444. So the next day would be January 1st of 443. And if you take that all the way to December 31st, now notice the big skip here. We're going from 443 B.C., all the way to December 31st of 32 A.D. That's 475 years. 475 years. What did we see over here on number 6? When we do the conversion, what are we looking for? We're looking for 476 solar calendar years in essence. So from the time of Artaxerxes' decree in March to the end of December, that was 279 days. You go from January 1st to 443 B.C. all the way to 32 A.D., that's 475 years. You take the 475 years plus the 279 days right here. 
and right here, and you add them together, all that's missing is an additional 86 days to get to 173,880 days. So we're only 86 days short. Are you starting to feel it? January of 1st, so we're going off of 32, we're going forward now, it's 33. So you go from January 1st of 33 AD, and you just add those, 36, those 86 days, because that's what you were looking for, right? And it lands on March 27th of 33 AD. Is there anything about maybe 33 AD-ish, March, that maybe starting to jingle a bell <clears throat> so from the issuing of a decree to rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince this was with the time marker that we were kind of trying to figure out exactly what might that be in reference to there will be 69 weeks that's 483 lunar years but for our sake 476 solar calendar years so what that means is that on March 27th of 33 AD, Messiah the Prince was made manifest to Israel as her king. That's all. It truly is that simple. So the question now is, did this happen? Because if this didn't happen, then either we've got problems with my math or we're going to have to find another way of calculating something because the decree was made. It's in the word of God. It's set in the heavens. It's not going to change. So if this hypothesis and the tracking down of our numbers doesn't work this way, then we've got to go find another way. But so we asked the question, uh, does, does this one work? And in order to help us a little bit, I want us to just take a peek over into verse 26. Because it says then after the 62 weeks, now it's obviously including this, the, the previous um, 7 and the 2, which gets to 69. But the, the last that was mentioned was the 62. Then after the 62 weeks, notice what happens. The Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. So what we see here is that following the completion of the first 69 weeks of Daniel's prophesied 70 weeks from God to Gabriel to Daniel, after the 69 weeks, <clears throat> key word in verse 26, not before, but after. After the 69 weeks, Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And as I've made mention, we haven't said a word yet about the 70th week. We're going to get to the 70th week in Daniel 9, verse 27. That's the famously known verse referred to as Daniel's 70th week. But what we're learning... And what we're going to learn and continue to learn over the next couple of weeks, of weeks, of days, not years, 
is that the 70th week of Daniel 9.27, of Daniel's 70th week, isn't a week that runs sequentially right on the heels of the 69th week. Which lets us know in the hypothesis that I put forward for you today is that there's a gap of time that exists between the 69th week, Daniel 9.25 and 26, and the 70th week that's isolated unto itself, even in the book in, verse, in Daniel 9.27, that there is a gap of time that separates those historical realities. And it's within this gap of time that I believe, as we see clearly taught in the New Testament, it's that which we refer to as a church age, that which was a mystery in the Old Testament, that which would have been a mystery even in Daniel's understanding with regard to the prophecy that Gabriel had given him. There was more revelation called progressive revelation that they didn't have available to them yet. Thankfully, we have access to that. And I want to read just quickly for you before we jump back into this because this is, I don't know about you, but this is utterly amazing. I'm going to show you how this fits. Just hang on just a second. But notice this from the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. He said, For this reason, <clears throat> I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. Daniel was not privy to that gap that was going to exist between his, the 69th week and the 70th week was a mystery that was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus through the gospel. of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power, to me the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the 
eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that good? I don't know about you, but that creates a hunger within me. I'm like, I want to know more about that. But Daniel 9.25 isn't there yet. We'll get to chapter 7.27. That was just a wet your whistle. So there's a mystery, and it's called the church age. A turning of the gospel, this mystery, this administration, which for generations and ages was hidden in God. Hidden in God. I didn't write it. The Spirit of God did. That's the way it worked. Who created all things. That's coming. Back to where we are before we get to <laughs> verse 27, which I hope that if that doesn't wet your whistle for what's to come, nothing's going to. So back on 26, after Messiah the Prince is presented, after the 62 weeks, after that total of 69 weeks, the Prince is presented, and it says, then he will be cut off and have nothing. And on the concept of what it means that he has nothing, we're going to jump into that next week. This is right where we're going to pick up next week, by the way, is this idea of having nothing. But in the meantime, what does it mean to be cut off? Well, the Hebrew word here for cut off literally means to kill or destroy. It's used that way in Genesis 9-11 and in Deuteronomy 20-20. And in at least three places in the Old Testament, Leviticus 7-20, Proverbs 2-22, and Psalm 37-9, this same word is used to speak of the execution of a person given the death penalty for a crime. Of someone who died as, got the death penalty as a result of being a common criminal. That's this word cut off. So after the 69 weeks, this Messiah is going to be cut off and killed like a common criminal and have nothing. And we're going to get into what it means to have nothing next week. Now, in order to back into this presentation of Messiah the Prince as being the completion of this 69 weeks, the 69 sevens, this 483 years, this 100 and how many, 188,380 days. I want to take you on a little bit of a different journey and expose this same truth to you from a different angle, from the Word of God. And I want to do that by attempting to date for us the execution of Messiah and his cutting off, his being killed or executed as a common criminal. So I'm going to give you basically some scriptural forensics, some scriptural markers that are and should become guideposts for us in our thinking 
so that it's, it's a narrowing down of our thinking. Some of these, these passages and these ideas that I'm about to share, it's for the narrowing down of our thinking to help us, from a biblical perspective, try to identify and isolate a particular time reference when a cutting off occurred to a Messiah figure. So first of all, we know that all the Gospels tell us that Jesus was killed at Passover, correct? Can you kind of get there in your mind? Jesus was killed at Passover. Secondly, Luke 23, 45 tells us that the Passover Messiah was executed on what was also referred to as a day of preparation. Now that, in Luke 23, verses 50 through verse 56, that designation there that the Passover on which Messiah was executed was also a day of preparation is a good timestamp marker for us in trying to make that determination because not every Passover was on a day of preparation. And so what that does for us, it enables us to go to a calendar and start looking on a calendar and saying, when was there a day of preparation that landed on a Passover? And perhaps for our interests, somewhere around what? March of 33 AD, perhaps? So you kind of start looking and you start making said observations. And indeed, there is one of those that's found because I need to give you a few more indications before I jump to that point. Hang on, just bear with me. Sorry, I got, ahead, I got ahead of myself. So it was on a day of preparation. Thirdly, John 13, 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, and that he would depart out of this world to the Father. So Jesus had knowledge that on this day of preparation, on that particular Passover, his time had come. His cutting off was at hand. Jesus was aware of that. And number four, Leviticus 23, 5 tells us that the Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. So again, when you start looking for a 14th day on the first month that also connected with a day of preparation and understanding um, that that Nisan 14, the first day of the month, the 14th day, Nisan 14, that particular Passover needs to fall on a Friday. We know that Jesus from Luke 3.23 was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry, so that's kind of a time reference with regard to how old he was when he began his ministry. We know that in Jesus' um, public ministry, John's Gospel records three Passovers that occurred during Jesus' public ministry, and Jesus was about 30 when he began his public ministry, and there were three Passovers that John made mention of that happened in that time, and so we're looking for a Nisan 14 that also happened on the day of Passover that would 
be favorable for us and fall somewhere within a time frame of 30 to 33 AD because Jesus was 30 whenever he began his ministry. Are you following some of these scriptural forensics? I hope so. If not, Pastor Harkey's always glad to help make explanation of this afterwards. I like messing with Matt. I love him. Oh, I got one more here. Matthew tells us that they bound Jesus and led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. And the Roman historian Tacitus tells us that Pilate was governor from 26 through 36 AD. Another just um, time stamp that helps narrow in. So with that, with the gospel telling us that Jesus was 30 when he began his public ministry, the gospel of John records three Passovers during his public ministry. We're looking for a Passover. It begins on the 14th day of Nisan. That would also include, where is it? Right here, the day of preparation. I already lost that number two on this one. The day of preparation. So when you take all of those points of evidence and you start narrowing it down and you go to a calendar and you do your research, there's one day that pops up on a calendar that fits all that criteria. And that day is April 3rd, 33 AD, the day Messiah was murdered and cut off like a common criminal. Now, these are just forensics. Everything I've said to you can be tested because we have calendars in a day's a day, 24 hours in a day. We're just doing math. We're doing math and we're going into the scriptures and we're finding clues within the scriptures. And then you go to your calendars and you work backwards and you do math. So there's nothing done in the dark corners of the recesses of Jinx Bible Church anywhere to come up with this. Every bit of this is available and open in broad daylight for everybody to give solid consideration. Now notice this. When you back up from that Good Friday, April 3rd, 33 AD, to what we commonly call Palm Sunday, that puts us on March 27th, 33 AD. Exactly 69 weeks or 483 years or 173,880 days to the day that Jesus rode into, into Jerusalem on the foal of a colt and was presented to Israel as her Messiah King in fulfillment of Daniel 9.25 as well as Zechariah 9.9. Wow. The precision of the Word of God is that exacting. And it can be tested. And it can be pressed in on. And stood on. And it can be examined from every angle you want to examine it from. But my friends, after close scrutiny and close examination, go back. Do the math. You should have seen my papers. I, I had scribbled. I had math all over the place. This is exactly what it comes to down to. Zechariah 9.9 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. 
He is just and endowed with salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. How could anybody miss the fact that 69 weeks to the very day Jesus rode into Jerusalem as the Messiah, King, and Prince. And after that, just like Daniel 9.26 said, was executed as a common criminal to the glory of God the Father. There's no other way in my estimation to take this. There are some friends that I know that they don't like the gap. But you can take those dates and you can take other decrees. You can do anything you want and there's nothing as exacting as what I've just shown you with regard to fulfillment of that word of God. You say, yeah, but you have to add a gap. Well, what did Paul call it? Paul called it a mystery that was a part of the eternal plan of the divine will of God that was unknown to the generations past but is made known to you now in what's called the church age. And as we looked at last week, what did we see last week when we went into the book of Romans? The apostle Paul clearly articulated in Romans chapter 11 a time was coming when the time of the fullness of the Gentiles was going to come in and then, he even mentions Israel, there's still a, a plan for a future Israel, then all Israel will be saved. There's no need to spiritualize these things, I'm telling you. It comes down to mathematics, and it's airtight. And I can't help but think of Luke 24, 25 through 26 here, when Jesus was walking with a couple of fellows on the Emmaus road when he said to them oh foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and to enter into his glory then beginning with Moses and all this and all the prophets he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures and oh how we would love to have an explanation from the lips of Jesus on this but what we do have is we have the New Testament revelation that gives us all the clues that we need. Psalm 22 gives us a detail-by-detail detail outline of the very events of the crucifixion down to them gambling his garments. Isaiah 53 describes him as a sheep led to slaughter. And here in our passage, Daniel 9, 25 and 26 shows him presented as Messiah, the prince who on Palm Sunday was recognized as a king to Israel in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets and was executed the following Friday, cut off. And like I mentioned, another key word in Daniel 9.26 was he was cut off and had nothing. We're going to look at that again. We're going to pick up right there next week. And so perhaps you're starting again to understand why Sir Isaac Newton said we could stake the truth of Christianity on this prophecy alone made five centuries before Christ. And indeed we can. Amen? I think that's all I've got for today, church. I mean, I got more, trust me. I got more pages, but we need to let this, we need to let this sit, settle and sink in.
this need not be a sermonette where we just kind of go away and go to Luby's and say, oh, wasn't that good? Pastor went a little long. No, we need, to, we, we need to go and we need to pull up our, how quick do we get this up on YouTube? I don't know, but I'm going to go back and relook at it. I need to make certain that everything I say calculated out correctly. I pray the Spirit of God enabled me to articulate that without any error along the way. But my friends, this is, this, such is the beauty of the Word of God. Such is the exacting beauty of the Word of God. And it's this kind of beauty in the Word of God that can lead a heart to salvation. So if you're here this morning and you've never bowed your knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I pray that the Spirit of God opens the eyes of your hearts today and that you wouldn't leave here today without claiming and naming Messiah the Prince, Jesus Christ, as Lord. And if you do that, just come find me right over here. Find Pastor Matt. He's somewhere. Brother Royce, just come find one of us, one of the elders. We'll love to talk to you about what that looks like and how to enjoy a walk in this life with King Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks and praise for your word. Your word is a lamp to our feet, a light.